Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Judd Legum has this news site. It's called Popular Information, popular.info. In fact, you can email him at judd, J-U-D-D, at popular.info if you want to get on his uh, newsletter mailing list, which I'm on. And I find it fascinating. It's called Popular Information. And I find it absolutely fascinating. He does a really, really good job. Judd is a reporter. He's been around for a long time, and he's done a great job. He used to work for the Center for American Progress and, and write for their blog, thinkprogress.org before they started shedding genuine progressives. And his headline, these six corporations are financing the war on women in six states. So Alabama banned virtually all abortions. Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Ohio banned all abortions after six weeks, which is before most women know that they're pregnant. Missouri banned abortion after nine weeks. And so who's supporting this? Well, AT&T. According to the corporate website, the company makes sure women at AT&T feel supported in everything they do. But AT&T has donated $196,600 to politicians in six states who have pushed for and enacted abortion bans. To Missouri Governor Mike Parson, to Missouri House Speaker Elijah Haar, to Missouri State Senate Majority Leader Caleb Browden. I need not go through the list because you probably don't recognize these names. But here, AT&T, $196,600 to these uh, forced pregnancy lawmakers. Walmart has donated $57,700 to forced pregnancy lawmakers across these six states. Pfizer has donated $53,650 to force pregnancy lawmakers in these six states. Interestingly, I don't know if Pfizer makes birth control pills or not, but that's next, right? That's next on the agenda. They're, going to, they're coming after birth control pills. And, you know, ask any, any of these uh, anti-abortion activists. They will, they will proudly tell you that. Eli Lilly, $66,250 across five states. Coca-Cola, $40,800 going to the anti-abortion movement leaders in these six states. Aetna, $26,600 across four states. In addition to that, states make it difficult to uncover corporate contributions to politicians. Each state has its own system, and few of them are user-friendly. Judd really did some extraordinary work here. So, once again, the companies that you may want to contact and tell them that you're, if you are, either supportive of or disgusted by their support for forced pregnancy lawmakers, AT&T, Walmart, Pfizer, it's two pages the Pfizer supported, Eli Lilly, and Coca-Cola and Aetna. So just, you know, tip of the hat to Judd Legum for that. But anyhow, yesterday afternoon, I wrote an op-ed, which is going to go up today. I'm not sure exactly where we're submitting it through the Independent Media Institute to, you know, all the the usual suspects, you know, Alternet, Raw Story, uh, Slate, Common Dreams. And, and, you know, we'll see where it shows up. But I just wanted to share it with you. I'm going to more or less read slash perform it for you, as it were, because, well, I think it's important. It's called the GOP's Commission for Virtue. And uh, the Republican Party's Commission for the Promotion of Virtue and the Prevention of Vice is on its way. Now, if that phrase sounds familiar to you, you'll find out why in just a moment. During Mike Pence's first year as the governor of Indiana, 
His state put a young woman in prison for having a miscarriage, alleging that she'd taken an abortion-causing drug. Her name was Pervy Patel, and she didn't have a trace of such a drug in her system, but Pence's state sentenced her to 20 years in prison anyway. Just a few years earlier, Indiana had also held Bye Bye Shui, who was a Chinese immigrant, for 435 days in the brutal maximum security Marion prison, facing 45 years to life for trying to kill herself and in the process causing the death of her 33-week fetus. Utah charged 28-year-old Melissa Ann Rowland with murder because she refused a C-section, preferring vaginal birth for her twins. One of them died. 16-year-old Rennie Gibbs was charged by the state of Mississippi with depraved heart murder when her baby was born dead because his umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. Her crime was that she had cocaine in her bloodstream, according to prosecutors. Angela Carter was ordered to have a C-section to deliver her baby before she died of cancer, she being Angela, both she and the baby died from the procedure. These cases have exploded in recent years as the GOP and the nation's law enforcement system have embraced the American, and I put this in quotes, Christian version of fundamentalist Islamic law that dictates that women are the property of men and that women's principal purpose for existence is reproduction. According to Duke University's Journal of Health, Politics, and Law, there were 413 documented and probably thousands of lesser-known cases of women being prosecuted for having miscarriages or attempted abortions between the time Roe v. Wade became law of the land in 73 and 2005. Between 2005 and 2014, the Guttmacher Institute documented another 380 cases like the ones I just told you about. Georgia just passed a law signed by Republican Brian Kemp, the guy who ran his own election against Stacey Abrams, which puts any woman in that state who has a miscarriage at risk of 30 years to the death penalty. Other states are in line. And in those states like Georgia with the death penalty, many are proposing legislation to put women who have abortions to death. And we know what happens when abortion is totally banned. Romania, with a population slightly smaller than Florida, banned abortion. Although, unlike Alabama, they actually allowed a provision for rape, incest, and congenital abnormalities. Romania banned abortion in 1966. While wealthy Romanian women were still able to get abortions by traveling to other nearby states, that option was not available to poor women. At least 10,000 women died of botched illegal abortions, and that's the official number. The real number is probably 10 times that before Nikolai Ceausescu was uh, deposed and the law was repealed. Few families in Romania were spared. Maternal death was higher than any other country in Europe by a factor of 10, and poverty exploded. When Romania was opened to the world, over 170,000 children were found languishing in brutal orphanages, ignored, emaciated, and handcuffed to cribs. Nobody knows how many died in the decades before that. When Nikolai Ceausescu was deposed in 1989, his own soldiers gleefully machine-gunned him and his wife to death, the same penalty that Georgia would inflict on its women who get abortions. Given that one out of four pregnancies ends in miscarriage, laws like Georgia's and Alabama's may well require a substantial addition to our police systems. I mean, after all, who's going to monitor all those pregnancies? Who's going to examine the women and the remains of their miscarriages to make sure there wasn't a drug or a self-inflicted injury involved? Who's going to make sure that women who are pregnant are immediately brought to the attention of the authorities if they're reluctant to do it themselves? When Governor Mike Pence proudly signed Indiana's abortion restrictions in 2016, women across that state noted that the new law required that miscarried fetuses, along with aborted fetuses, be, quote, interred buried in a cemetery, or cremated, no matter whether the pregnancy was 6 or 16 weeks along when the miscarriage happened. It led to a movement across Indiana called Periods for Pence, in which women tweeted or called the governor's office to tell him when their periods had started and ended so that the state wouldn't mistake a normal menstrual period for a miscarriage. The press treated it as funny at the time. Nobody's laughing now. The Republicans could borrow the name from Saudi Arabia for their police who scour the streets looking for badly behaving women. The Commission for the Promotion of Virtue and the Prevention of Vice could hire a few million upright Christian men who would each take responsibility for monitoring the menstrual cycles of, say, 50 or 100 women per man. Like in Saudi Arabia, it would be a real job creator. It would boost the economy while ensuring public morality, right? Thanks to the Internet, each woman who's a ward 
of a particular commissioner could use modern technology to keep it all simple, like the Saudi Absher app that women use in that country to obtain a man's permission to leave the house or date, American women could simply swipe period started and period finished normally when those events happen. This way, the commissioners could limit the unpleasant work of physically checking women's uteruses or showing up with a pregnancy test. They could limit that to only once a year. Although, you know, more frequently for high-risk women, less frequently for low-risk women, and no doubt Facebook would be happy to help out with a handy algorithm based on women's online activity. Seriously, Louise and I had three children and one miscarriage, which was an emotionally gutting experience. And this is not what I wrote, I'm just adding this. I just can't imagine if we had had to report that miscarriage to the police, if Louise had had to go or the two of us had had to go reported if we had been forced by the state to have a funeral or I mean it pains me even to write this article and particularly to present the idea above but if the Republican Party keeps going down this road this may very well be where we end up the Republican Commission for the promotion of virtue and the prevention of vice I'm not a physician I'm not a medical authority I took you know health class in high school (laughs) biology but in terms of reproductive biology it was basically not much And I remember some months ago, I think, or maybe even longer ago than that, hearing the first time there was a reference to this heartbeat bill at six weeks, that at six weeks you could hear the heartbeat of a fetus. And I thought, wait a minute, it's not a fetus at that point, it's an embryo. And the embryo at six weeks, to the best of my knowledge, doesn't have a heart. Mo Pinko posted this over on Democratic Underground under the title, Can We Get the Science Straight Here? And I think this is just so spot on. This is from the Mayo Clinic's Health and Lifestyle Pregnancy Week by Week in-depth prenatal chart. And where are you at at six weeks? Well, here is what it says. At six weeks, the embryo is now made out of three layers. The top layer, the ectoderm, will give rise to your baby's outermost layer of skin, central and peripheral nervous system, eyes and inner ears. Your baby's heart and a primitive circulatory system will form in the middle layer of cells, the mesoderm. This layer of cells will also serve as the foundation for your baby's bones, ligaments, kidneys, and much of the reproductive system. Will form. In other words, it's not a heartbeat. I mean, there's some electrical activity that's going on there that is detectable, but this is not a heart. It's not a heartbeat. And this whole thing of, oh, and they feel pain. Well, I'm sorry, to feel pain, you have to have a brain. If you poke a bacteria with a pin, the bacteria will move away from you. It doesn't mean that the bacteria is feeling pain. It's a stimulus response. The forced pregnancy people are using language like heartbeat and pain in ways that are completely A, lies, B, non-scientific lies, and C, you know, purely to pull on people's heartstrings and to deceive people. This is what they have to do to promulgate their oppression of women. This is the issue that the Republicans are just like giddy about. They're just rolling. They're on a roll right now. And I think it's going to devastate the party. I may be very wrong. We'll see. But anyhow, so to your calls, Erica in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Erica, what's up? Hi, Tom. Great respect. First of all, uh, I just wanted to let you know that I had about 30-some years experience with this abortion debate. I grew up in a pro-life, very Catholic family in Wichita, Kansas, during the Randall Terry days. Oh, my. So while I am no longer pro-life, I remember kind of being drug along to rallies. I had an uncle who literally chained himself to the doors of George Tiller's abortion clinic to try to keep it from opening in the day. And, of course, we know what happened there years later. George Tiller was killed walking out of church with his family. Right after about the 25th time Bill O'Reilly called him Tiller the baby killer. Yeah, yeah. So all that said, I moved away from Kansas as a young adult just to get away from all the toxicity and came to my own understanding and my own beliefs. Now I completely support a woman's right to choose And I have for most of my life once I got out of that bubble. But what I'm saying is being around that bubble and how most of the people in my family haven't, they haven't changed. They've never even left that little bubble very much to ever experience anything else. Mm -hmm. And truthfully, when we talk about coat hanger abortions and protecting women, do you realize that they don't care if we die? They actually think that that was like, oh, well, that's a consequence of you having sex. But the thing is, is that they're all hypocrites because my mother had many children in her family 
I think, eight girls. And I can speak to the fact that I know that I was conceived before my mom was married. A lot of my cousins were, too. And, you know, this whole, you know, sex is only for marriage and we don't believe in birth control and all of that. That's always bothered me, too, because they all supposedly practice the, is it called the Caressa method? I forget what it is. But basically, they count the days on the calendar when they, you know, shouldn't have sex because they don't want to Yeah, we used to call it the rhythm method when I was a kid. Isn't that playing God? You don't want to take birth control because you say that you're trying to play God as to getting pregnant or not. But if you're counting days, trying not to get pregnant on certain days, you're still playing God. It's just a different, riskier method. So the hypocrisy is, I've just had it. I've had it up to here. I'm sure people in this town are hearing my voice and saying, oh, my God, I can't believe she's actually coming out against this. But I've had it, and I am saying what I think. We are in danger. Women are going to die. They don't care because that's less people at the polls, and they'll finally have their wish to make this a religious state instead of a free one. And thank you for your time, and I respect you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Erica, and thank you for sharing that story. I would submit to you that women are already dying. There are large chunks of this country, probably a majority of this country, where the nearest abortion clinic is hundreds of miles away, where the states have imposed Mm -hmm. requirements that make it very difficult or very expensive for a woman to get an abortion. Women are once again doing back alley abortions. Women are doing do-it-yourself abortifacients. You know, some of the search engine companies have talked about this. We're not seeing these being widely reported. Pretty soon we're going to start seeing that. It's my absolute prediction. You're going to start hearing reports about women dying from do-it-yourself abortions. Erica, thank you for sharing your story with us. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Tom. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Good talking with you. Gail in Antelope, California. Hey, Gail, what's up? Oh, I am on a rant. Okay, go for it. (laughs) Okay. I'm 75, so I've seen a lot about this debate with abortions and pregnancy, and there's something that I have not heard yet from any of them, and they're not really pro-life people. They keep saying women get pregnant. Women That is not true. Women do not get pregnant. They become pregnant when a man impregnates them. Right. You never hear any of these pro-life people speak about the role that men play in creating unwanted babies and unwanted life that ends in abortions. Abortions could be ended today with three steps. No sperm, no baby, no abortion. And this business about perverting the sanctity of life in the womb, these same hypocrites think absolutely nothing when those same babies are slaughtered by crazy people with AK-47s, where all they have to offer is their thoughts and their prayers. So this hypocrisy crap has got to come to an end. If anybody thinks this is a moral issue, they're wrong. This has nothing to do with morality. Those people can't even spell the word moral. This has to do with creating a standing labor pool of cheap labor and cannon fodder for their miserable wars that they profit from. And you've got a couple of religions that forbid abortion because they want to try and outnumber each other. By the way, you know, up until the last maybe 20, 30 years, it was fairly difficult to know absolute paternity. I mean, you could test blood types, but, you know, DNA tests are quite recent, certainly in my lifetime, just in the last generation or two. So now we have the ability, which you didn't have in biblical times and you didn't have in early American times and you didn't have through all the era of, you know, women as property and all that. Now we have the absolute ability with 100% certainty or close enough, 99.999% certainty to know who the father of a zygote of a fetus, of a whatever it is, is. And so if Georgia is going to put a woman to death for having an abortion, that penalty should also apply to the man who impregnated her. And once you do that, suddenly all this is going to stop. What would they do if they said to people who are rapists, men who are rapists and convicted of rape, I'm not talking about false accusations, but actual proven facts, or in the case of incest, what would they do if they said the mandatory penalty for that was actual surgical castration and removal of their penis? Uh, again, you would see all of these abortion laws suddenly fading into the background. Or if, even if the man just went to prison, I mean, just send him to prison yeah. for, you know, however long yeah. you want to send women to prison. Pervy Patel was sentenced to, you know, what was it, 20 years, 40 years, whatever it was in Indiana, Mike Pence. Mike Pence was governor when it happened. You know, yeah. nobody ever asked who the father was. You know, it's, yeah, absolutely. you're absolutely and right, those Gail. those guys that are out there screaming about this, they love the fact that women have abortions because they don't want to support their mistresses' babies. There they you go. They'll still keep getting 
abortion. There you go. That's Donald Trump. You're Hang on just a second. To Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. You know, when Donald Trump found out that Marla Maples was pregnant, he talked with Howard Stern about how they were debating whether or not to have an abortion. I mean, Gail, thank you for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Stephanie Miller here. If you watch 60 Minutes and you own a home, you just got very nervous. I did. The FBI's former head of cybercrimes warned homeowners that foreign and domestic thieves can steal your home and do it all online. That's because home titles and mortgages are kept in databases that can be hacked. If you have equity in your home, here's how they get you. They simply forge their name onto your home's title, use your home as collateral to borrow cash, and stick you with the payments. And no bank or identity theft program protects you. You need Home Title Lock, America's leading title and mortgage guardian. For pennies a day, Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title and mortgage. If cyber thieves tamper with it, we mobilize to help shut it down. You may already be a victim. Here's how to find out. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register for your free title scan and report. $100 value, free with sign-up. Don't let cyber thieves steal your home. Go to HomeTitleLock.com like I did. That's HomeTitleLock.com. One more time, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Welcome back. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Norma, what's on your mind today? I'm sitting down here in Alabama. You can understand that I'm disgusted and angry. I can imagine. (laughs) And a friend of mine is now calling this Talabama, you know, like the Taliban. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Well, nobody has any control over the Republican Party here. They think that our governor did this because she's bright and intelligent, and there are rumors to the exact opposite. And there are rumors that the Secretary of State... The Senate pro tem, the attorney general, are actually running the state. A quick question, Norma, if I may. I understand that your governor, when she signed this anti-abortion law, said that she was doing it out of respect for life. And yet this week she is overseeing her seventh execution in Alabama. Do I have that right? You're correct. And also we're going to be building... Three new prisons. They're passing bonds to raise tens of billions of dollars to build new prisons. And I'm wondering in the back of my mind if they're going to be tying this into their abortion bill so they'll have a place to arrest women and throw them in jail. These prisons are going to be run by a corporation. Why is Alabama, you know, raising money to pay for them? Well, that's part of the... uh, It's just like George Bush and the Dallas Cowboys, you know. (laughs) The community pays and the corporation profits. That's correct. Yeah. There are 25 white men who voted for this thing, Republican men, and overruled the few Democrats we have. And I keep screaming at people that we need to get, you know, something going with our Democratic Party. We're supposed to have an election. It hasn't happened yet to to elect a new Democratic board. And the DNC is backing off on making us do that. But if we cannot get women elected, women who will fight for women's rights, you know, I look at the state as being doomed, and there's just so many things going on here that there's no time to talk about them. But to refuse to allow an exemption for young girls, hmm. the pelvic girdle in a young girl has not matured enough to support a pregnancy. Right. And there's no way she can give birth. And the rest of her life, if she ever has another child, she'll have to have another cesarean. And without any health care here, there isn't any way to pay for the cesarean. So how many young girls are going to die because there's no health care? Are they going to throw them out the way they did the, the guy that came to the States with Ebola? Send him yeah. home? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's, it's a terrible situation, Norma. It really is. And you wonder how much, you know, the terrible average lifespan statistics from a century ago were the result of young women getting impregnated and dying in childbirth. Norma, thank you for the call. Margie in Wisconsin Rapids. Hey, Margie, what's on your mind today? I have a question regarding these forced birth laws that do not allow exceptions for rape and incest. And that is, do those states still allow the rapists to sue for parental rights? And the reason I'm asking this is I personally know a woman, and this is in the state of Wisconsin, who did bear her rapist child. He went to prison for her rape, 
And she was court-ordered by family court to transport the son, the product of this rape, to prison for routine scheduled visitations. This went on for 18 years. She was not allowed to move out of state because it would have interfered with his parental rights. Yeah, that's so bizarre as to sound apocryphal, but but I've seen several stories in the press recently of just that, or variations on that. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if if we're gonna turn into, you know, Margaret Atwood's America, um, there's a lot of different laws that are gonna have to be changed, um, including, as I said, you know, what kind of police powers are gonna be necessary in order to to police and keep track of women's periods and things. Um, Margie, it's it's a horrible, horrible story. Thank you for sharing that. To the Tom Hartman program, call 202-808-9925. I don't mean thank you for sharing a horrible story. I mean, thank you for informing us about the horrors of this story. We'll be right back with your calls. It's Anything Goes Friday. Apropos of the abortion debate, Steve tweets me, Tom, should pregnant women get two votes in the next election? Well, arguably, you've got to be 21. So no, I don't think so, because fetuses aren't. How are you going to police these kinds of things, particularly if like, you know, Mike Pence's law in Indiana, which said that a miscarriage has to have a funeral, which is great for funeral homes, but, you know, not great for anybody else. So Gary says, I see a new app coming. All women must register with selective periods, sort of like the selective service. What day do you expect to menstruate? Did you menstruate? Did you menstruate last month on what day? How much did you spend on napkins? Do you have receipts? See, this is where, you know, Amazon could help out, right? Hey, so-and-so, Sally over here just didn't reorder her sanitary napkins. There's something going on. Hey, Georgia police. Rick in Brooklyn, Maryland. Hey, Rick, what's on your mind today? Correct me if I'm wrong. I saw a clip where the so-called governor of Georgia, when he signed their anti-choice law into effect, said a lot of people were going to be against it, but it's the right thing to do. Did he do the right thing when he should have resigned as secretary of the state of Georgia to run as governor? Well, he never should have rigged the election. He shouldn't have thrown over a million people off the voting rolls. He shouldn't have supervised his own, his own election. And, you know, in terms of signing the bill, I think, obviously, I think that was the wrong thing. Was that a rhetorical question, Rick? He's showing the hypocrisy of the Republican Party. Yeah, you know, and they don't care. The Republicans don't care. As long as they get what they want, they don't care how they get it. It's the do as I say and not as I do mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Rick, well said. Thank you. John in Los Angeles. Hey, John, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? Yes, I understand your disdainment for the evangelical understanding. And here's the thing that gets me. is the evangelicals that's doing this, but ain't none of them reading their Bibles right at all, because we're not supposed to treat each other like that. We don't treat women like that. You do read the Bible, and I mean really read it, it doesn't say that. Well, yeah, and and, and go back I mean, and go back and read Hebrews. There was a woman who, uh, thank you. yeah, who had sex with a man who, who wasn't her husband. She became pregnant. God told I forget who it was told one of the one of the prophets or patriarchs or kings or whatever to give her a potion to cause her to abort. God ordered an abortion because this woman engaged in infidelity. I mean, that's right there in the Old Testament. You know, this is this is like really. I'm scared because once they do this with that, I know where they're going next as a black male. And they've already begun to prove it by gunning us down in the street. Yeah. Well, I think the place they're going next is birth control. The, The place they're going next is birth control, John. And, you know, like I said before the break, in the South, the anti-abortion laws were aggressively enforced with regard to white people. They wanted to increase the white population, but they turned a complete blind eye to anti-abortion laws when it came to black people. So it's like, it's kind of the opposite of what is being pitched as abortion as you know, racial genocide. It was really racial promotion. And that's what it still is you know, for white people. John, thank you for the call. Mike in Palatine, Illinois. Hey Mike, what's on your mind today? 
Hey, what's going on, Tom? You know what? I wish someone would have asked any of the Alabama Republicans, if a fetus is considered a child, then why isn't a pregnant woman counted as two people in a census? Actually, they're proposing that in some of these laws. I believe the Alabama law specifically proposes that. There's a fascinating little thread over on Democratic Underground that speaks right to this actual very issue where they're asking, Dan Mel posted this, this is like, you know, questions to the Republicans, right? Will you ensure that my body gets the prenatal care it needs to make sure this embryo grows into a healthy fetus? Will you ensure that my host body gets paid family leave so I can care for the baby that you said I have to have no matter what? Will you ensure that my baby will be able to see a doctor after it leaves my host body? Will you ensure that my baby can breathe clean air and drink clean water after my host body isn't providing its oxygen and its milk? Will you make sure my baby has quality childcare and early childhood education because my host body sometimes has to go to work? And I go on, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, but, yeah, Republicans are pro-birth. They're not pro-life. They just want you to have the baby. If you look at the origins of this, I was digging into this for my book on voting. Back in the 19th and early 20th centuries, the anti-abortion laws were aggressively promoted against white women, but ignored for black women. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And that tells you everything you need to know about where this all came from. Mike, thanks a lot for the call. You know, Louise and I have three cats, and I could tell you by far the worst part about being a cat owner is dealing with litter. It's messy, smelly, heavy, outright barbaric, and that's why I switched to Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter is Kitty Litter 2.0. It's shipped right to my door in a small, lightweight bag that lasts me the entire month. No more running to the pet store or storing heavy, opened bags of cat litter in our closets. And Pretty Litter has next-level odor protection. It uses super-absorbent crystals that actually trap and conceal odor and moisture. No smell, no mess. Forget about that dirty clay or compost that's completely gross to clean up. But the best part about Pretty Litter is that it monitors my cat's health. Pretty Litter changes colors to detect underlying illnesses before urgent medical care is needed, saving you money, stress, and potentially saving your cat's life. Make the switch to Pretty Litter today by visiting prettylitter.com and using the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, for 20% off your first order. Prettylitter.com, promo code TOM. I may be coming to your city soon on our book tour for the hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment. I'll be in New York, Washington, D.C., Portland, Los Angeles, Seattle, San Francisco, Chicago, and Minneapolis. Here I come. More information is available at TomHartman.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus kind of the head progressive guy or one of the two, along with Pramila Jayapal in the House of Representatives and represents the great state of Wisconsin. And his website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan, P-O-C-A. And Congressman, welcome back. Oh, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Where do you think that this thing with Iran is going to go? Is this Does this concern you as much as it does me? You know, the president seems to be trying to act as if it's other people in his cabinet that are promoting this, which I'm sure they are. But every action the president's taken has been to put us closer to involvement with Iran, starting with breaking the Iranian agreement that many of us, you know, whipped and worked hard to pass in Congress. And, you know, then you watch the president, I think, on Friday or somewhere around there say, oh, he doesn't want to go to war. It's his people. He's trying to stay out of it. And then he tweets out yesterday, essentially, that he'll wipe Iran off the planet, paraphrasing only slightly. So this is really unstable, and some people hypothesize that it's awful hard to do any impeachment proceedings if you're involved in a war. We're really concerned. So we do have a briefing, a classified briefing, either Tuesday or Wednesday. I believe it's tomorrow. And hopefully we'll have a very good, frank conversation. But clearly the administration is up to no good right now, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems to me, my, you know, my concern is that Bolton and, and Pompeo are both explicitly war hawks. I mean, they, they were gung-ho for the Iraq war, no apologies, gung-ho for the Afghanistan war. They've been basically gung-ho for any war that they can get involved in. And it seems like they've been very successful at maneuvering Trump into positions where he uh, you know, may unwillingly end up with a war on his hands. Is it possible that he is being that easily manipulated by these guys? 
Well, I, I think they clearly are very hawkish and would have no problem going to war for lots of different reasons. For Donald Trump, you know, I find him nearly impossible to predict because he knows so little about the job that he has. When it comes to trade, you know, he won Wisconsin and Michigan and I think Pennsylvania because he talked about bringing American jobs back. He talked tough on trade. And then now he's done all these random tariffs and they've actually hurt people far more back home. And he hasn't brought jobs back home. He doesn't understand it. When it comes to war, you know, he talked about bringing troops home. And yet time after time, he lets them still ultimately make the call. But in this case, I actually wish I didn't believe this, but I do believe that he thinks something like that would be an awful convenient way to ensure that you don't start perhaps an impeachment process because it's awful hard to impeach a president uh, during a time of war. And, you know, I'm just real skeptical. Yeah. I'm wondering your take on how the politics of all this are shaking out. Do you are there any Republicans at all who are willing to take on the fossil fuel billionaires who fund the Republican Party? Yeah, it's tough. And I'll be perfectly honest, I have some problems with a few Democrats when it comes to the fossil fuel industry. I remember there was a former Democrat from Texas during one of our special order hours where we go on the floor of Congress and talk about something. The Congressional Progressive Caucus has an hour every week. I was talking about climate change and issues. And this Democratic member, afterwards came up, he goes, I almost came and debated you on the floor during your special order hour. So I wish I could say it's just Republicans, but in many cases, you know, it is a very powerful special interest with a lot of money. And I do think the vast majority of Democrats are willing to stand up to them, but you know, it still is very much an uphill climb. And you know, I think one of the issues that people need to know, I think a lot of people seem to feel like Nancy Pelosi is dragging her feet on impeachment. And one of the things I think that she's trying to do and weigh very carefully is when we do polling and focus groups and talk to voters in districts where we're still trying to pick up seats and trying to make sure that we can really change this country and get a Democratic president, they want to talk about core economic issues, health care, uh, environment, meaty issues. And all too often, uh, you know, when you impeachment becomes the only thing reporters in Washington will ask us about that and in the DCCC's practices. Uh, and we're trying to figure out how you can balance uh, doing everything that we need to, but showing all the good work that we've done because we have passed a bill to get back into the Paris Climate Agreement. We're going to be doing more environmental legislation. We have passed several bills around gun violence prevention. We've passed uh, bills around paycheck equity. We passed a bill to clean up Washington, HR1. It was elections, ethics, and campaign finance reform. There's a lot happening right now by Democrats. This week, we got a big bill on uh, retirement security. And yet it's the balance of making sure people know we're doing the things they really want us to do, but also doing the proper oversight. And when it comes to something like the environment, while we're trying to do things, it's hard to get uh, Republican support, even though there is a, a climate caucus that has some Republican members. You don't really see much out of them other than joining the caucus. But we have a few members of our own caucus to deal with on the issue. With regard to the student loan situation, where do you see this going? It seems like if the Republicans can find a trillion and a half dollars to give to their billionaire buddies, they should be able to find a trillion and a half dollars to pay off everybody's student loans. Yeah. So I think what you're going to see this week also is the week that the president sits down with leadership to talk about how to fund what now is a $2 trillion infrastructure package. So I, I think, you know, the first batch of monies that are going to be coming up are probably going to be coming towards infrastructure because it is something that maybe you could see agreement between Trump and the Democrats. But, you know, this is an issue where I introduced the first bill in the nation back in 2013. There's a group called One Wisconsin Now that does uh, some great public policy work here in the state, did some outstanding work on student loan debt and how fast it was rising. We introduced the first bill back in 2013. The next year, Senator Gillibrand, Senator Warren, uh, both introduced their own versions. Um, my version, actually, we've introduced with the Republican. We have bipartisan support on that. And yet, of course, Paul Ryan would never put that up there. I think we will have a chance to address issues like refinancing of debt, for sure, I believe, this session. We're trying to get debt-free college ideas out there as well. I'm not sure what luck we'll have, given we've got a Republican Senate and a Republican White House. I think when you get to debt cancellation, that's probably the third, probably in that order, because I think we can do refinancing of debt relatively easily, and I think we could do that this year. Then we're trying to get to the bigger concept of making sure people don't have debt, 
And then I think when you get to that last part, that is the one that's going to be the trickiest. And with a Republican Senate, Republican president, very difficult to do. I had a caller earlier who was talking about her experience in the 1970s uh, going to college. And I mean, I went to college in the 60s and it was a couple hundred bucks a, a semester or a term at uh, Lansing Community College and at MSU. I mean, they were LCC was a lot cheaper, but, you know, still it wasn't much. And she said that she went to school in the 70s and that when she was applying in 70, I, I'm, I'm doing this from memory, so I'll probably get it wrong. But the, the, the principle is is you know, doable um, that like in 73, 74, when she was applying for college, uh, it was three thousand dollars a year, which was doable. The next year, it was up to 4000 The year after that, it was up to five dollars or $6,000 a year. In the 70s there, from the end of the Jerry Ford administration through Jimmy Carter's administration, that was the period of time when college costs began to explode. Now, that was also the period of time. Buckley versus Vallejo was 1976. That was the Supreme Court decision that said that billionaires and corporations can own politicians, that money is free speech. It was 73, as I recall, that the Supreme Court adopted Robert Bork's philosophy on monopoly, that the that it was fine to have giant monopolies as long as consumer prices were low. I'm not sure if that had any application in schools, but, you know, I can't apparently blame it all on Reagan. I know that the right wingers say, oh, yeah, the school pricing crisis is because the government is subsidizing people with Pell Grants and we need to stop all that. And yet, you know, my dad went to college for free. In fact, he was paid to go to college on the GI Bill. And that didn't rise, drive up college prices. So that's a BS argument. Why are prices so high? Yeah, so there's a number of reasons, but one of the main ones, and this was in a New York Times piece a couple years back, when the economy crashed back in 2008, a lot of states quit subsidizing their programs and their schools. And it took a long time. In fact, Wisconsin was one of the last, thanks to Scott Walker, to really put resources back in. And that was always one of the great equalizers because you had strong state support for state schools. And that's where very large numbers of people went to those types of universities. And that helped to keep costs down. But yeah. uh, that is really one of the drivers. That's why our proposal that has debt to be yeah, we're, the, the music has started, so it's killed your voice. I'm sorry, but I get it. And, and, and I, you know, the, the one number that sticks in my head is that roughly when Reagan came into office, 20% of the cost of college was tuition, 80% was government payments. Today, it's reversed. It's 80% is tuition and 20% is government payments. I wonder if that started in the 70s. Anyhow, we'll be back with Congressman Mark Pocan. Stick around. Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? Will you have enough time to rebuild, or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the FRED chart on the purchasing power of the dollar and look at the data yourself. Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Where are we at with regard to impeachment? So I think what you're going to find a, a pivotal moment this week will be Mr. McGahn is supposed to testify before the Judiciary Committee. If for some reason he does not show up or he does not answer questions, um, that will be on top of the Attorney General not coming in on top of a lot of other things. Uh, I truly believe that you are looking at a relatively small timeline, probably between now and the end of June that after we have given um, every reasonable uh, amount of time for people to uh, respond to subpoenas, to come to work, do what they're supposed to do, if they don't do that, uh, Donald Trump will have pushed us into starting some sort of impeachment inquiry uh, in order to get the information we need. I really believe we're very close to that. His actions are not of an innocent person. An innocent person would be giving these people rides to come and testify to prove how innocent he is. Instead, Donald Trump is anything but innocent. Yeah. Amen. Uh, Russ. Russ, where are you calling from? 
Uh, Hickory Hills, Illinois. Okay, great. What's uh, You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, it's nice to talk to you, Mr. Pocan. Last yeah. week you came on kind of fast. The shows before you were saying Donald Trump's unfavorable has jumped between 20 and 24% in your state. Is that because of the tariffs? Because, what is it, two in five dairy farmers now are closed? Why, why such a high unfavorable in your state? Is there something else going on? Yeah, so he won only by uh, 23,000. We had a couple of factors. One, we had a, several hundred thousand Democrats didn't come out and vote in that election. And also we had a photo ID law that Scott Walker put in place that the University of Wisconsin told us probably impacted 44,000 people from voting. But I do believe he won because of his message on trade about bringing jobs back to America. We're a state that's been affected greatly by that. But he also has, I think, the biggest drop off of any state he won is in Wisconsin. And I think that's also because, uh, Ross, of trade. As I was mentioning at the beginning of the show, he is devastated soybean farmers and dairy farmers and corn growers in the state, even though he's done these arbitrary tariffs that we've had retaliatory tariffs come back from China and others, he puts out that he's going to somehow take care of them with some money. Well, that money he put out there, I ran into a farmer last week who's very knowledgeable about the farm economy in Wisconsin. A soybean farmer is probably getting 50 cents on the dollar. A dairy farmer is probably getting closer to two cents on the dollar. And a corn grower is getting about one cent on the dollar. That is devastating to our egg industry. He's also hurt Harley Davidson, which is made in Wisconsin. So I think the drop off is especially big. And then secondly, we are fundamentally nice in the upper Midwest in Wisconsin. There's a reason people say Wisconsin nice. And uh, Donald Trump, no one has ever said Donald Trump is nice. Uh, and that doesn't play especially well here either. That's interesting. Jeff in Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, Tom, Mark, how are you guys today? Um, good. My question to uh, Mr. Pocan is, I am a graduate of ITT Tech in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, they folded up and did some fraudulent practices, and I'm one of those students that they did that to. What I'm wondering is, where do I go to get any kind of relief from the scam that ITT Tech pulled on me and several other students over the years in Madison. Yeah, so first of all, Jeff, because uh, where are you in Wisconsin, in, in Madison, or? I'm sorry, Jeff, sorry, I, I dropped Jeff's call. Well, if you're in my district, um, Jeff, and you might be if you went to ITT Tech, call my office, because one, we can, that's what we do, that's what all offices do, are there to help you navigate through this. Part of our problem is, under Betsy DeVos, as Secretary of Education, I know this is not gonna shock anyone, uh, but we've been pretty incompetently going after these bad players in the for-profit industry uh, that have had such terrible records. About two out of three for-profit colleges have had some serious problems in operations. So hopefully that will tell people in the future maybe to really look at a school very closely because of this terrible track record they have, but also the Department of Education isn't doing much to really help people out in the way that, that many of us think they should. So. Call our office. Uh, we can try to help give you a little bit better direction on that front. But I do think more is going to need to happen, and more is going to be need to happen to aggressively stop these for-profit institutions that have such a scammy background from being able to continue to do this. And I know Democrats, we had a hearing on this in my subcommittee on appropriations just a couple months back. Uh, we will put things forward. The Higher Education Act uh, reauthorization will be up. I assume that will address it as well. So I think there's hope on the horizon, but right now if you've got a problem, reach out to your member of Congress and we can try to help you out. This is great. Jack in New Jersey. Jack, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. How you doing, Congressman and Tom? Love the show. Hey, back in the 70s when, when Nixon did the break-in thing, the Democrats sued the Republicans, and then when that all washed out, the Republicans had to pay some cash to the Democrats. We did the same thing a year or so ago when Trump got in. Is there anything going on with that lawsuit? Oh, boy, you know yeah, I wish about? I had a good answer for you on that, Jack, and I don't, unfortunately. I don't know uh, the, the, the circumstances around that lawsuit. Andy in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, Congressman. Hey, I had a question about private citizen um, uh, Mr. Trump Jr. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, Ivanka and uh, Jared. Um, how do they get to refuse a subpoena from the Senate when um, I can't? And I'll take your question off the air. 
Sure, Andy, and I think that was part of the challenge he had, is he can't uh, do it real easily because he's not part of the government, uh, Donald Jr., which is why they worked out a deal with the committee. I believe he's coming in on June 6th, but I might be wrong on the exact date. Uh, he just bought a little more time, and the Republican chair on the Senate gave him a little more time. But, and it's going to be private testimony, so there'll be no yeah, public and, embarrassment. Yeah, and, and again, that's up to the Republicans who control that House, but... He still has to go. Uh, Democrats can still be there. They can still talk about what happens. Uh, but we also probably are going to have him come to the House side. I, w- I want to be real clear on this, Tom, because I think a lot of people uh, may not be completely hearing what I'm trying to say. I think uh, it is imminent that we were going to have impeachment proceedings begin um, because we have to to get the information we need to. What we're trying first is following the law, which is saying, here's a subpoena, you have to come. And when people refuse it, we're first learning, because this has not happened in recent history, how to deal with that. Uh, but this is going to push us to the very process. But by doing that, um, we now have a Republican this weekend who came out and said uh, that he thinks impeachable offenses. We have to follow a process that is reasonable, and the process isn't that long. We're talking at most, within the next 30 days, I think all this will be resolved. For example, this week, Don McGahn, whether or not he comes and answers questions, will be pivotal on some of the next steps. But I think some people are so impatient for impeachment, which I understand. I've already voted for impeachment when we brought it to the floor um, previously. Uh, but understand, we have to do this in a way that we're going to be effective and get it uh, done in the House of Representatives. And that's part of why, uh, by doing these steps first, we're making the case crystal clear that the only way we can get information is to start uh, the impeachment process. So I just really want people to hear that because I think um, uh, some folks aren't quite understanding it. They, they want us to do it. Uh, if you've read the report, you know there are plenty of reasons why we should be doing it. But if we can't get the witnesses in the way that we've always got them for decades, we've got to try that first uh, to make sure we have the information. And since they're not coming, uh, we will absolutely have to do a next step. Joe in Cupertino, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I'm sorry, Congressman, thank you for taking my call. I really sure appreciate you. seeing you on the floor the other day uh, arguing your issue. I thought... You were eloquent. My uh, concern here in your voice earlier was we can't impeach the guy for at war. And my fear is that we're going to be at war. I want to reinstate the draft preemptively if we're going to have to sit here and be held hostage by this guy. I mean, you see what happened to the DCCC. They're sneaky. So we got to be careful. I would suggest that we bring forward that if we can't agree to, what is this, a uniform where we're going to go in as a country to war, but he's just going to sneak us into this war. We have to have the draft now. Yeah, well, I, I think you might be a step ahead of where I'm at, because I think, first of all, they're trying to find out a way to get involved there. But I, I agree with you. I have said at the beginning of the program, you know, my fear is that uh, while there's some people in his administration who uh, love a war for any reason, uh, in this case, I think, uh, you know, the president may be looking at a calculation of it's hard to uh, do an impeachment of a president when a country's at war, or even if it's not, you know, what we may think of in the conventional lots and lots of troops war, we're going to start some hostilities uh, potentially very soon, and that's what we're trying to stop preemptively. One, they should come to Congress. Article 1, Section 8 says that. We're trying to push that, and we've got some bipartisan support for that, especially after our Yemen vote, and uh, tomorrow uh, we're going to have a classified briefing. So hopefully in a few days we'll have a much more uh, concrete picture of what they're up to. Uh, John in New Haven, Connecticut, we have one minute until the end of the hour. Quick question, please. I love, love, love your magic tricks there, Congressman. Uh, one, oh, you, how about having more voter suppression hearings? And two, what are we going to do to bring the corporate Dems and progressives together? Sure. On the first one, um, we are having uh, lots more hearings. We're doing more bills around voter security and on the Voting Rights Act in addition to the H.R. 1. So you'll be getting that. Second, um, you know, I don't know if we're all that far apart on many issues. In fact, many of the more centrist Democrats are the ones leading the push to leadership on uh, trying to do impeachment because they're hearing it from their constituents. The difficulty we may have is on things that, like, you know, negotiating for prescription drugs through Medicare. I feel very strongly about it. We want to make sure that we're not, you know, standing up for big pharma so we're going to have to resolve some of those issues. But I don't think the divide is as big as you hear when people try to say it around the presidential races, at least among Democrats in the House. But I think there are some issues that do make it. We come from different places. Congressman Pocan, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you very much. As always, appreciate it. It's great having you with us, as always. Congressman Mark Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. His website is pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at repmarkpocan.com. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin.
So would you like to watch the Tom Harbin program? All three hours of our program, anytime you'd like. Would you like to hear special content where we talk about, you know, what the billionaires are up to or climate change or the newest things in science? There's all kinds of great content like that. That's also available. The place to find all this is the Tom Hartman channel over on Patreon. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. Patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. And you become a supporter of the program through Patreon, you have access to the full three-hour show and special content that we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out, patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. Thank you. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and loving what you do. Ellen Ratner's new book on the line with us is the author of Sideswiped, former Congressman Bob Ney. Bob, welcome back. Well, thank you, Tom. Great to be here. So uh, what's happening in the world that's got your attention? Well, you know, some issue which I think you're going to know more about than I am. I tried before the show to research more and called people up on the Hill, but the CEO Climate Dialogue. I know know nothing about that. Okay. Strange cast of characters. I'm suspicious. Let me say this right out front. So let me tell you what I know. There's a group. It's DuPont, the World Resources Institute, Dominion Energy, Dow, Ford, DTE, Shell, Citi, Group, BP, etc., who are actually putting together a coalition to lobby for climate change law. Now, supposedly... They're doing this because they feel that some of the handwriting's on the wall, which is interesting because although there's been, you know, uh, criticism of the new Green Deal, uh, it's obviously getting attention. It's out there. You know, the the statistics, Tom, as you know, are starting to change, uh, even amongst not the lawmakers, but amongst, you know, Republican people, for example, in in independence. Uh, And Texas and Iowa are producing more than 20 percent of their electricity from, from wind right now. Right. And so this coalition is put together. And, and sources of mine up on the Hill tell me, because, you know, again, you heard the names, okay? Mm-hmm. But they do want to reduce carbon emission, and they also want to get ahead of the curve because they feel the time is coming and they yeah. want to be part of this. So here's, here's what I, I think, think is going on, Bob, with this. The, the list that you named are the companies that are either involved in extraction, refining, or using fossil fuels, or, in the case of the banks, funding the extraction, refining, and converting fossil fuels into fertilizers and things like that, chemistry and things and whatnot. Here is what I would bet. I would bet that what they're going to come out in favor of is a carbon tax and one that increases over time with a cap-and-trade provision on the back end of it. That will allow them to actually make money trading carbon futures and carbon, you know, carbon credits. When George Bush Sr. did this to stop sulfur dioxide in the air, to stop acid rain back in the late 80s, early 90s, it actually worked. And it also made a lot of money for industry. And also these these companies are looking at the fact that they're sitting on billions, maybe trillions of dollars worth of oil or investments in oil and coal and natural gas that are going to be worth a whole hell of a lot less a decade or two decades from now. I mean, massively less. And so if they can, if they can start reducing the, the supplies of these things, which they have a large amount of control over, they can drive the price up, which means that they can continue to maintain profits even though they're selling less product. Does all that make sense? Right. Makes sense. I mean, I looked at it, and I thought, is this a secret way to stop it? But actually, uh, and, and I've seen this before, once they get engaged... Then it's hard for them to get out of it. Yeah. They'll give on some. So I think I, they could be utilized, put it yeah. that way. Yeah, I think they're trying to figure out how to make lemonade out of a lemon. And the, right. the big challenge for all the rest of us is, mm-hmm. you know, are, are they coming up with a plan that's, I mean, we've got basically cancer. And, you know, is their plan a penicillin shot or is their plan chemotherapy? I'm guessing it's going to be more like penicillin, right. but we'll see. Yeah, CEO climate change, if people want to Google it, listening yeah. to your show. And, uh, and, of course, the big story of the day is about uh, the Republican congressman from Michigan, Congressman Amash, and he, uh, of course, is the singular sole voice. Now, it was very fascinating. The national media ran immediately to Mitt Romney to see if, you know, he would bite on any of it. And, he, and Mitt Romney's words were interesting because he said that basically 
the people weren't ready for it or the time wasn't ready for it, right. which I found fascinating. He answered, you know, that way. Well, and now, he's, he's right about that. On. He's right about that with regard to the Republican politicians. There is not a Republican mm-hmm. consensus yet. Oh, no, it's, it's one. And I don't see where there's going to be a great big, you know, domino effect. And then the president will be um, in June. Uh, I think it will be June around June 16th. Now, we're not on Father's Day, but around there, he's actually launching his campaign around the country with a series of rallies. And the intent of that is going to be very clear. This will be to get right in the middle technically of the democratic primary and to stir that up as much as humanly possible that's why he's going to uh, announce and actually not just do an announcement by video he's going to engage in rallies and different events in some key swing states in other words his 2020 election strategy is going to be the same as the 2016 get hundreds of millions maybe billions of dollars worth of free media and blow the democrats right off the page Right, and you know the media follows him, and he's going to uh, uh, try to engage. I mean, look at the names he's called Buttigieg, you know, and, and every candidate that comes out. Whereas you know, Tom, you've been around politics forever. You don't, in, in the middle of an, another party's primary, you don't go attacking the people running in that primary. You let them argue amongst themselves or let the issues come well, out. Well, those are the old rules, engaging. Bob. <laughs> those are gentlemen's rules. This is and the woman's new, the new times. Yeah, yeah. This guy has—he's uh, got no respect for for institutions. He's got no respect for propriety. He's gaudy and gross, and and it's you know it's why Over high society. Yeah, it's why high society in New York has always rejected him. Bob Nay would talk media news. Bob, thank you so much. Thank you, thank thanks, you. and thanks for being with us today. Thank thank you for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. wasn't designed that way. was never intended that way. Democracy only works with the demos. That's us. That's you, the people, right? So get out there. Get active. There's so many things that we can do right now. There are so many great organizations. There's so much that you can do. Most of it doesn't cost a penny. Get out there. Get active. Spread the good word about progressive media. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.